You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Do the words at Genius Zone describe where you believe you spend most of your time, some of your time, or almost none of your time? According to today's guest, Dr. Gay Hendricks, most of us are stuck in what he calls our zone of excellence. And if we're not careful, we could spend almost our entire lives in this zone, which will cause us to lack joy and fulfillment. Thankfully, we have Dr. Gay back on the podcast today to explain how we can begin to step into our genius zone, and as a result, we'll be more fulfilled in life and in work. We previously had Dr. Gay on the podcast to talk about overcoming the fear that holds us back, which is worth going back and listening to, and it can be found at creatingabrand.com slash 091. For links to resources that we mentioned during today's episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 118. And now, get ready to step into your genius zone. Here is my conversation with my friend, Dr. Gay Hendricks. Dr. Gay Hendricks, welcome back to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be with you again. Yeah, it was great having you on the show previously when we talked through how to conquer your fear and take life to the next level. And it's it's been phenomenal just to continue to hear people just pour in to have different testimonies about how much that previous interview helped them. So I want to say thank you again for that. And thanks for coming back uh, to share once again. My pleasure. I'm really happy to be here talking about the new book. Yeah, so this this book titled The Genius Zone. Uh, first off, I want to mention something about this book. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but as soon as I started reading it, I felt like I'd been teleported into your office and was having like a one-on-one conversation with you. Like that's kind of the vibe I got from this book. It, obviously, you're a phenomenal writer and you were able to do this and kind of have that impact on people, but I found this book to be so helpful. So thank you again for putting this one together. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that because I wanted to create the same atmosphere with the reader or the person who's listening to the audiobook, as you would have if you were right here talking to me in my office, because a lot of the book is based on transcripts of things I actually say to people and work with them on to help bring forth their genius. So uh, uh, thanks for mentioning that aspect of it. I appreciate it. Wow, that's really cool. And, and it really, I mean, it really did that. Like I didn't, we didn't script that or anything like that. That's just, that's the vibe I got. And you did a great job, but that's really cool. And by the way, this is, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to keep count here. That's book, this is book 47. Right. This is number 47, I believe. I I think so. You know, I actually I tried to count them up a while back and uh, I've, I've got most of them on my shelf here. I thought I came up with 49, but your your number may be okay. better. Than if it's 49, regardless, when you hit 50, <laughs> if you have a party to celebrate the 50th book, you're right. I would love to be in attendance at that party. All right. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm even more proud of uh, my wife and I are about to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. Wow. That's so amazing. I'll tell you, none of the books would have been any fun to write if it hadn't been for having a great mate and co-author and uh, partner to celebrate with. Oh, that's amazing. My wife and I have been together for, uh, we're in our eighth year, about to hit nine years. So I'm, I'm not there yet, but I, I fully intend. I'm spending my wife with it, my whole life with this woman. So um, I, I appreciate hearing somebody like you who's been able to just continue to just have a thriving marriage. So thank you for sharing that. That's great. Well, we're going to have a big party in October. So if you find yourself in the environs of Southern California, just let me know because we'd love to All right. invite you. We're going to have a big uh, party. That sounds like fun. I'm going to have to, to get back with you on that. Really cool. <laughs> so I want to jump into this idea of stepping into your genius zone. And before we get ahead of ourselves, I think the best thing to do would be just to start with a definition. What is the genius zone? And also, is it something that we all possess? 
the genius zone is when you're doing what you most love to do and also what makes the biggest contribution to the world and to people around you, to your family, to yourself, to the community. So two things come together in the genius zone. One is you're doing something that you absolutely love to do. And number two, when you do it, you make a big contribution to the world around you. That's genius zone primo right there. And if you think about it, life is a lot about whether we release our inner potential or not. Because, at, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of my life. I'm in my 70s now. But when I first came up with this idea, I was, you know, in my 30s. And I thought, if I can just base a life on doing what I most love to do and what makes my biggest contribution to others, that's going to be a great life. And the last 40 or 50 years have absolutely turned out that way, that um, I think one of the best things a human being can ever do is to make a commitment to something that's bigger than themselves, but also makes maximum use of themselves. And so for me, it was a commitment to fully release my genius during my lifetime, to fully let the genie out of the bottle and put it to work doing the things that matter most to me in the world, the kind of contributions I want to make. So um, here, 50 years down the line, it uh, turned out better than my wildest dreams. So I heartily recommend that people as early as possible in life make a big time commitment to revealing your genius during your lifetime. I love that. You know, it actually makes me think of a quote that, that says that what we do for ourselves dies with us, but what we do for others echoes into eternity. And I think what you just said really embodies that. Well, we, this is talking about your genius zone. It's what you love, but also it makes the biggest contribution on others, which actually is helping and serving somebody else. And I think that for many of us that are entrepreneurs, especially early stage, we started something because it's what we love, right? Like we became passionate about something. We wanted to create a product or service around it. And then we believe it's also going to impact other people or we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it. At, at least I hope not. But the idea is that, okay, this is something I want to do, but I believe it's also going to make society better, make a group of people better. It's going to make people's lives easier. We all have that idea when we go into it. And I think that for early stage entrepreneurs, when they first step into it, they step fully into this genius zone to, to create whatever they're creating, but immediately realize that they hit this point where they fall out of it because now there's the administration that goes with it. There's the, someone gives them a bad piece of feedback, right? And they, now they feel inadequate or they're just saying to themselves, oh, I don't think I can do this. I didn't think about running a company. I thought I was just creating something. What do you say to somebody that's maybe feeling that that's where they are, that they were in their genius zone, but now they've come out of it to, to build a company? Yes. Well, big issue because I know from having launched a bunch of companies myself, I, I was sort of a born entrepreneur. I was already doing little things when I was a kid. I had an egg business and then I had a paper route and, you know, Very a lot nice. of early entrepreneur. Um, but to me, being an entrepreneur, if you have that in you, you need to celebrate that. You need to honor that because not everybody is constructed in such a way that they are entrepreneurs at heart. You know, many people are not inventors or creators. They're executors. They, they can take somebody else's plan and execute it. Um, I think, wasn't it Michael Gerber's book where he says, um, every business to succeed needs a visionary, a bean counter, and an SOB. 
And uh, you don't have to be an SOB, but somebody who can, uh, you know, you can manage people in such a way that you get the job done. Uh, I've made mistakes myself. And, you know, being a visionary type of person, I can invent things and create things. But boy, do I get feeling boxed in when I have to administer them because I'm just not that guy. You know, I just and I have friends that love that. But if you ask them to go in a room and invent something, they'd say, no way, I'm not the creative type. But see, we need to do that. I think we need to be absolutely committed to our own genius and protect that genius. So I say to entrepreneurs all the time, as soon as possible, delegate everything that you don't absolutely love to do to somebody else. Just like, uh, you know, there's that famous book on tidying up right now by Marie Kondo, or it's, it's been successful. And she says, go through your closet and throw away everything that doesn't spark joy. That's her phrase, spark joy. Well, if you think about applying that same kind of idea to what I'm talking about, go through your life and look at everything that you're doing and find out which parts of it really spark joy, which, which parts of it light you up, which parts of it would you do all day long, even if you didn't get paid for it. So that's a sign of your genius, is when you're operating in that timeless zone. Um, but as I say, you've got to protect that because it will get eaten up by ordinary activities if you allow it to be. In fact, one of the chronic complaints when I used to do a lot of on-site com um, consulting in companies back in the 80s and 90s, one CEO would tell me after another, oh man, if I only had 10 minutes to sit down and think every day, that'd change my whole life. You know, So that became one of my priorities is to help people create that time. Yeah. So speaking of that time, again, I think that many of us, we lose it real quick. And I'll just speak from my own, own experience. I mean, even the last time we talked, I was just starting to launch the organization I have now, which is Podmatch. And from day one, I felt like I was just my genius. I mean, for me, I come from like a corporate background. So execution is one of my big things, but also executing the plan for a product. Like I love whiteboarding it out, getting it all documented, coming up with mockups, like that whole process was great. And then we launched and then we took off, like, which I was so thankful for and still this day am. But I immediately found that, okay, now I'm uh, answering customer complaints and <laughs> I'm, I'm having to be tech support. I'm having to help like all these different things. And I'm doing what you're saying, which is trying to hire some of it out. But sometimes I get this feeling of like, I'm getting worn out by this, or someone's saying something really bad about my baby, like they didn't have a good experience. What do you say to somebody who's maybe in this same phase where they're just like, feeling like they're a little bit stuck now in what they're creating, and they want to get back to that element of genius? Like, I don't I think I can do 10 minutes a day, by the way, gay, but um, some people <laughs> might not feel that way at all. No, well, it's easy to get yourself kind of boxed in. Um, but here, here's the thing. Because uh, I work with this problem all the time. Um, because most of the people that I work with either uh, I, I mentor four or five people a year, and I also then occasionally do uh, two hour, what I call big leap intensives, where I work with somebody who's kind of having a breakthrough there. So, but in other words, I, I, I do this all the time. And so, what I have to say is based on real life experience. And here's what I have to say if you systematically put attention into your genius, every day, the other stuff will take care of itself. You'll have to make some decisions. You'll have to say, okay, I choose not to do this anymore because it is not in my genius zone. 
or you might have to say, I've got to hire somebody or I've got to trade out somebody to do a different task. But if you will be extremely protective and put your attention into your genius, that other stuff becomes much more effortless to get handled. The other way around, though, if you're not investing every day in your genius, if you're not spending that 10 minutes or 20 minutes or hour or whatever you, you take, if you're not doing that, the other stuff will grow like moss over your creativity. The other stuff, the businessy stuff, the meetings, the, you know, how much of my life have I spent in unproductive meetings? Wow. You know, and I know just about everybody else has too, but I, I was a university professor for 21 years and you want to talk about unproductive meetings. Uh, <laughs> right. These folks could sit there and discuss things for hours without producing any result. And it used to drive me absolutely bonkers. Um, it, it's a great institution, uh, universities, but boy, do they waste a lot of time by ceaseless consideration of unimportant things like parking lots and, uh, whether they're going to serve beer on the campus and those kinds of things. Um, but you have to, speaking to you and to you who are listening and participating with this, you have to be as protective of your own genius as you would be protective of your pets or your children. Because the tendency of life is to overwhelm those things. The tendency of life is everybody wants you to live in your zone of excellence. You're more predictable there. You're, you're able to be relied on more. Um, so uh, a lot of people in your family, for example, will want you to not rock the boat any. But at some point, you've got to make an investment in your own well-being. And this quote I use in the genius zone from the Gospel of Thomas, even if you're not religious, listen to what this has to say. If you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. I mean, it's true, isn't it? Uh, that's yeah. that's as important a psychological idea as it is a spiritual one, that I think we all owe it to ourselves to cultivate our genius and bring that forth. Because for me, you know, I feel better now than I felt 20 years ago. And even then I felt great. But um, now with 20 more years of living in my genius zone, wow, you know, it, it has an exhilaration to it that I've never found in any other way of being. I love that. That's so good. You know, I'm thinking about your life over the last 40 years. And you talked about how about 40 years or 40 plus years ago, you started at spending 10% of your time in your genius zone. And now you're over 90% of your time spent in your genius zone, which I think is incredible. And you're talking about having a, a way to systematically put your attention into your genius zone and make sure that, that the, you know, the rest will take care of itself. Obviously, you're living proof of that. But how have you been able to, to track that? Is there some method that you recommend to being able to be like, okay, am I spending any time in my genius zone or am I at 10%? Am I at 20%? Am I like working my way up to 30? Do you set goals along with it? I, I know I'm asking a lot of questions here. I really want to dive into that for a moment. No, I actually set goals. Um, and uh, in the early days, especially, you know, it was the hardest for me was staking out that original 10%, you know, because okay. what's 10% of an eight hour workday? Well, that's, that's still, you know, almost an hour or so. And um, so um, that was the hard part. Then it was really took some commitment to get to 30%. So I was spending 
let's say three hours of a nine hour day uh, in my genius zone. That took me probably three or four years to get up to 30% of the time. So I don't want anybody to hear what I'm saying as a magic pill you take or anything and then the next day, because it does take some discipline and, and focus. But if you don't have discipline and focus, you ought to go do something else anyway, because uh, one of the great gifts of being an entrepreneur is you can choose where you put your focus and uh, you don't have to have somebody looking over your shoulder. But that puts great responsibility on you to make great choices. And so here's a fundamental choice every moment of every day. Am I spending this moment in my genius zone or am I spending it somewhere else like my excellence zone or my competence zone or my incompetence zone? Live in that question. That took me, well, I spent from about 1990 to about the year 2000 um, kind of living in the question of what will it take to get to 100% by the end of the century where I'm spending 100%. Well, I realized finally it's really more like 85 or 90% because, you know, I like today, I drove to the golf course and back. I'm not a genius driver, but I spent some time, you know, uh, driving. And same thing, I was unloading the dishwasher at 5 a.m. this morning. And uh, I'm not a genius dishwasher unloader by any means, but I spend time doing it. But um, so I give myself a little slack for doing things like that in life, but I want to spend almost all my time in my genius zone. And so I started focusing on that. By the end of the century, you know, I had it pretty much the way I wanted it. And then for the last 20 or so years, I've just continued to live that way. I always say you need to say an enlightened yes and an enlightened no to everything. And by enlightened no, I mean you've given thought to what you're saying no to. So being in your genius zone is as much about saying no as it is about saying yes, because people are going to be coming to you all the time with offers and things for you to do and clubs for you to join and boards for you to be on. And be very wary of that stuff, though, because those little moments of saying yes to something that doesn't feed your genius, those can be incredibly taxing over time. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. I love the question. Am I spending this moment in my genius zone? And I've, I think, by the way, you're a bit of an overachiever, but I think that 90% is a great accomplishment. I mean, you know, you don't need a driver or someone empty your dishwasher, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you came to that understanding. You, you talked a lot about focus, discipline, and commitment. And commitment, all those things mean saying no, often more than they mean saying yes. Yes. What do you say to an entrepreneur that has trouble maybe overcoming the shiny object syndrome, we call it, or just wanting to please people. Because a lot of entrepreneurs, I find that they started something because they do want to serve. Deep down, they have the right heart, but it gets them stuck because they just start saying yes to everything as their skill builds. What do you say to somebody who's kind of stuck in that and, and helping them to, again, stay focused, disciplined, and committed to their genius on what they said they would do? Well, I had to do some tough talk with myself about that very issue because I made that 
mistake <laughs> big time. You know, I, I used to say yes and override an internal no. It was almost reflexive with me. And I can see that's a pattern that runs in my family that I learned early on. And it took me a while to get to where I could say an enlightened no to somebody. An enlightened no meaning that it wasn't didn't have an edge of um, anxiety or anger or anything to it. It was just going inside and saying, okay, does this fit with my genius? Will this serve my genius? <sighs> yes or <sighs> no. Really trying that on in your body. Ooh, I've wasted a lot of time doing saying yes to things that I overrode a no for. Um, I would list them, except it would probably get me sued. <laughs> I, I went into business once with a famous figure um, in my field that uh, I forgot to do enough due diligence. And I found out halfway in that there were some big integrity pieces missing there that I could have probably find out found out before I went into the deal. But it was a, a bright, shiny object. It was money and it was a cool person to work with and everything. And I overrode my internal no. And yeah, you know, it, it just, it, it ended up just being stressful and taking me out of my genius zone. So mm. those things you really have to be careful about. And I don't know of any way to learn them except just trying them on all the time, you know, because you really have to get a distinction in your body, you know, like to cite a recent example, um, I, um, we recently had a mayor election here and one of my, my candidate that I supported, um, won and the other candidate, um, that I thought of as a okay person kind of turned sour toward the end. So, but what I'm getting at is my original thing was based on trying on something in my body. Does this person have integrity? Does this person have charisma? Does this person have the ability to get things done? I go through a whole bunch of yes and no processes in myself so that I can really come out with a clear, enlightened, conscious version of what I'm saying yes or no to. It's a crucial thing, Alex, because hiring errors are one of the most consuming, stress-producing things that you will ever run across in your business life. Um, speaking from experience there, you know, like I hired a person once, looked wonderful on the surface. She made a, a $1,000 mistake, so we dealt with that. Next thing, she made a $13,000 mistake, we dealt with that. Next thing, she did and made a $43,000 mistake, and that was it, you know, but <laughs> had I been able to pay attention in a more enlightened way, I could have probably not hired that person. It's just like when I used to study Aikido when I was way back in graduate school, had a really good Aikido teacher. And he said, if a, if a two Aikido masters are walking down the street you know, one of the students said, how, how would an Aikido master, uh, what do you call it, black belt, handle a situation where they got approached by two muggers on the street? And he gave this great answer. He said, well, if you were a black belt, 
you would have probably moved over to the other side of the street about a block away before you even got to those people, you know, because the, that would have been the move that would have relieved the most conflict in the world if you completely just avoided around it. And so that was a very enlightening moment for me because I realized, oh, my mentality would be that martial arts are about coming out top in a fight. That was my model. Their model was avoiding the whole thing entirely was the goal, you know, that you have conflict around a, a center. And um, so I, I think that in business, we're constantly, if you want to become a black belt in business, it's constantly asking yourself two questions. What have I what about my genius am I leaving untapped here? What have, can I express here? What is the deeper version of my genius that's trying to emerge here? And also, how can I operate in this moment in a way that serves other people and serves myself? Those are two really well said questions. And thinking about that first one, I, I love that story, by the way, of like the black belt and the black belt in business. I think that's really well said. And I'm thinking about this now, like if we're people that are asking ourselves, like, what part of my genius am I leaving untapped? Or am I even operating in a deeper version of my genius? You talk about the boxes of excellence as well, and genius. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know the difference sometimes without being really self aware of them. What would you say to maybe an entrepreneur that's really operating in an area of excellence, but not necessarily genius? How can they begin to discover that further to know the answer to your question that you gave? Yes. Well, where I start working with people oftentimes is they're in their zone of excellence. And how you recognize that is you're getting rewarded for it, basically, that um, your, your zone of excellence is things you're good at. Um, but the trap there and what you will begin to recognize is that people want you to do more and more of those things. And gradually, they take over more and more time and make you more and more money to the extent that you forget that part of yourself that went into business in the first place, that part of you that yearns for a type of self-expression, for example, or yearns to serve people in a particular way. I didn't realize some of those deeper things when I first started, you know, when I first sold eggs in the neighborhood, I wasn't speak, thinking about the service aspects of it. I wanted to make an extra 50 cents for my allowance every week because I was only getting a quarter of an allowance and it didn't go very far. Um, right. <laughs> so um, I wanted, I was in it purely for financial reasons. But now when I look back on it, I think there was an urge, even in those early days, to invent something out of nothing, to create something that didn't exist before. And if that appeals to you, you're an entrepreneur. You know, and you won't ever be satisfied unless you're doing that in some form or the other. And the little tweak that I'm suggesting is do what you're doing, but start asking yourself, is it tapping into my genius? Am I expressing my genius? Is it doing what I most love to do? And is it what makes my biggest contribution to the world? Like I, um, I always wake up early. I sleep from 10 to 4 10 at night to four in the morning. And um, so by five o'clock, usually I finished meditating and had something to eat and um, ready to sit down and start writing. From five to seven or 
I'm in the sweet spot of my genius zone because I'm writing whatever I'm working on. Um, at the present, I happen to be working on a uh, fiction work. I kind of go back and forth between fiction, nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction. Right. <clears throat> I write mystery novels in my spare time. Netflix likes those a lot, don't they? Yes, they do. They do very much. Uh, in fact, I've, I've sold the option on a couple of my books over and over again because the movie never got made. And, very nice. And That's so, exciting. I don't know what I would ever happen if they finally make the movie. One of my friends has been living off the option of one of his books now for 40 years because the studio keeps not making the movie, but they don't want to let the project go. So they have to pay him another <laughs> twenty or $30,000 every January 1st. Very nice. <laughs> that sounds like a good spot to be. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I got you off course there. Continue, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so what I was getting at is that um, there are going to be two things that gnaw on you if you're not doing them. One is it's going to gnaw on you in your zone of excellence if you're not tapping into your genius. You're going to start getting frustrated. You're going to say, oh, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. And I, I probably had 100 50 lawyers and doctors in here over the years at 40, 50 years old who tell me, oh man, I'm you know making my $680,000 or my $920,000 a year and everything is great. And, um, but I feel if I keep doing this, I'm going to kill myself. You know, so especially at midlife, you know, you get, you can kind of get away with stuff in your twenties and thirties, but as you get up to 40, 50 and everything, uh, boy, life requires more creativity out of us. And if we don't open up to more creativity, we get feeling stymied very quickly. And especially from 50 on, we say every breath you take after 50 is a breath of creativity or a breath of stagnation. But start that in your 30s. Start thinking, wow, what can I do to live in my genius today? 10 more minutes. You know, that's all it takes is, you know, it's like going to the gym and doing one more chin up in your routine of 20 chin-ups, you know, just do a little bit more every day and expand yourself. That's so well said. You know, this actually kind of drives me into one of the last questions I want to ask you, which is thinking about this idea of commitment. It takes commitment to do all of this, to actually like to want to even operate in your genius, to, to get out of the, the excellent zone and to, to really step into the, the best version of yourself. It takes commitment to be able to do this. Can you speak to the listeners a little bit about the role that commitment plays and, and how to keep up with that? Yes. Well, commitment is what gets you off the bench and into the game. You know that if the coach says, Hendricks, go into the game. Even though he said that to me, I'm the one that propels me off the bench. And so commitment comes from two Latin words, which means to bring your resources together and to set forth. And so commitment is a marshalling of your resources and a choice to go in a certain direction. And a big thing though is, I wish I'd learned early on about commitment, that recommitment is just as important because you're always going to wander off course. You know, the example I, I use is the automatic pilot on an airplane. It drifts to the right and it says, let's go to the left a little bit. Drifts to the left, it says, let's go to the right. And it gets you to the destination by being wrong 90% of the time. And so you can get to great places in life by being wrong a lot if you're willing to learn and make corrections. You know, so I've had to make a thousand and one corrections over the years to stay in my sweet spot. And 
And it's not easy because life bashes you about, you know, and there's all sorts of, it reminds me of when my daughter was little, uh, she used to have a Bobo the Clown doll that, you know, she'd knock, it's a thing, you blow it up and you knock it over and it bounces back and they knock it over and it bounces back. Well, you got to be a Bobo the Clown, I think, to be a good entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love this idea of recommitment because so many of us, we start beating ourselves up and we feel like we're just not staying faithful to what we said we were going to do. Like we're committed and we feel that, but when we, we fall short, we're like, we start with the self-doubt or self-sabotage, but recommitting is so important. I love the example of autopilot. In the book, you actually talked about a flight going to Hawaii. Let's imagine that. It's made, they get there not by setting a course, but by thousands of little corrections along the way. And I think for all of us that when we fall, we just got to get back up and, and keep on going, recommit to the cause at hand. And I think that that's just really a, a powerful thing that you're sharing there. It's important. A lot of people say that is business. You know, that is being in business because how many times do you read about and even in the papers and on TV and everything about some unexpected crisis that happens in a business? I mean, we all went through that over the past year. And um, so it put businesses to the test and many of them didn't make it. So um, it's about resilience too and recommitment that all those re-words like resilience and recommitment. It's getting back on your feet again. Uh, as, uh, when my daughter was little, I took her to her first horse riding lesson, and uh, she was desperately wanted to learn how to ride a horse. And she promptly fell off the horse after about 20 feet and freaked me out. But the, the trainer just put her back on the horse, and away they went again. And then she fell off again, freaked me out again. But every time, she'd check to make sure she was okay, and then right back on the horse. And uh, the, the woman told me, you know, if they're not falling, they're not learning because you got to, you know, it's gradually a process of making finer and finer distinctions. And um, so that's life. That's business. That's entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's so well said. And I really just appreciate talking with you. I always learn so much anytime we have the opportunity to connect. And now you know who the listeners are. And I want to ask if you have any final thoughts on this idea of the genius zone, something that we haven't shared yet or a challenge for them. I'd love to hear what you have to say before we close out. We get dozens of opportunities every day to jump directly into your genius. I call those genius moments. And I highly recommend that you look carefully and find out how to recognize those genius moments. It'll take you 10 minutes to learn it, but it'll be a valuable 10 minutes. Love it, Gay. That's so great. It's a great way to end this episode. I really appreciate your time and sharing with us once again. Well, thank you. I'm eager to hear about your new business sometime too. I didn't know that you'd uh, formed a pod match, but I want to hear about uh, uh, how that's going and what that's all about. Absolutely. would love to talk with you about it. Thanks again, Gay. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. When I reached back out to Dr. Gay to ask him to come back on the show, he immediately said yes and that he'd be delighted to come back to share again. In fact, he was actually hoping for the opportunity, he said. What a blessing to be able to have such a brilliant mind on the show twice. I hope that you got as much of this episode as I did and are feeling challenged and equipped to step further and further into your genius zone every single day. Dr. Gay, thank you for coming back to be a guest again. I so appreciate your time. To pick up a copy of Dr. Gay Hendricks' book, The Genius Zone, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 118. Thank you as always for listening, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.